Welcome to Season 10 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. episode is a wide-ranging discussion with the brilliant Dr. Hugh Chilton from Scots College. This is my second chat with Hugh and we talked about an exciting initiative that he's leading at school called Scots X. We talked about how to reinvent education, the role of honourable traditions and why school leaders need both deep humility and a fierce resolve. I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Please enjoy. Dr. Hugh Chilton, welcome back to the podcast. It's lovely to uh, to see your face again. How are you going? Yeah, well, thanks, Matthew. Thanks so much for the chance to chat again. Oh, it's really uh, it's really wonderful. Um, you're the first uh, return guest, um, so oh. I'm very grateful that you would uh, that you would take the time. Uh, what's happening in your world? Uh, any news? Yeah, uh, it's uh, you know always uh, an exciting time of uh, of year. I think we're talking on the the eve of the last day of term one so um, for you know southern hemisphere australian listeners and the like that's um our first term of the year uh coming into autumn and so yeah so kind of probably running on fumes a bit but good fumes and uh, had a really great uh a great term of school i moved house at the start of this year Uh, my eldest child started kindergarten himself so it's been interesting on, on the other side of the fence we had parent-teacher interviews the other day and I was um, the parent and then had to race off to become the teacher. Uh, so yeah, so all all good things and uh, never a dull day. Do you, uh, how do you navigate that parent-teacher interview as a teacher? I'm, I, I'm just asking a little bit of advice here. Do people know what you do? Do you wear your name tag? Uh, do you keep it quiet? How do you how do you navigate that one as a, as a senior leader in a school going to a kindergarten uh, uh, parent-teacher interview? Oh, I think I I think I go in with fear and trembling because um, yeah. someone once said to me something like, you know, the younger they are, um, the the more amazing the teachers need to be. So I've got the easy job teaching high school boys, but kindergarten right. that's um, that's uh, that's a serious uh, feat of ingenuity and creativity and incredible yeah. systems. So I've just uh, came in in awe of uh, of his amazing teachers. Have uh, what what have you learned as the parent of a kindergarten child has it has it changed you having a uh, having a child quote unquote in the system um yeah what's that been like I, I mean I'm the same my little one started she's at the end of term one and uh yeah what's it been like for you 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you're sort of on the other side of the equation, as it were. Uh, I think, firstly, I would say, you know, what a privilege to have access to local schools. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and we, we just moved moved house, moved into a different area, and such a great way to connect with people from all sorts of different backgrounds and um, you know, walks of life, but people who live near you in our local public school. And I think that's a real gift in Australia that we've got that um, that opportunity to access that yeah. sort of education. And uh, yeah, and I think I think that I think it also makes you think a little bit more about what you really want for your children when it comes yeah. to their growth and development. And uh, and yeah, I think there's a lot of things about school where you can probably get caught up in your own anxieties about how your children are going. Are they progressing yeah. at the right level in terms of their readers? Are they yeah. friends and all those sorts of things? But um, I think we might've talked about this last time we we yeah. chatted on the podcast, Matthew, but I think one of the challenges that I'm having to wrestle with is how do I make sure that I think about my child as a person, not just an extension of me? And yeah, it's really, um, it's really, really difficult. And and I know as a, uh, as a dad, kissing my little one goodbye on her first day of school was emotional and I've spent my career delivering um, a good part of my career delivering uh, content to new kindergarten parents and telling them how okay it's going to be and then now being the one kissing a child goodbye at the gate or sitting in that audience it's it's really it's really difficult I was an emotional wreck she was fine uh, but I was an emotional wreck <laughs> yeah I think you're not alone <laughs> yeah uh, Hugh um for those people that that aren't aware of your work, um, obviously we cover this in detail in the first um, interview that I did with you, uh, which was incredibly uh, well received um, by by my listeners, which is wonderful. Um, and I don't want to rehash that, but I do want to give people the opportunity to to find out a little bit about you that may not be familiar with your work. And I just wanted to ask you a, a quick question um, on your LinkedIn profile. It says that you're an accidental educator. Um, why did you put that in your profile and, and what does that mean? <laughs> Good question. Why did I put that in my, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, what I'm perhaps getting at there is that I have found myself caught up in this kind of vocation. Mm. Uh, I like to think of it as teaching is not just delivering content or, um, you know, being part of the system or, or even just about imparting knowledge as important as that is um it's about human formation right it's about mm. uh, shaping somebody to know and love and do what is true and good and beautiful in the world um and and it's a vocation it's a calling to do that it's not yeah. just a job although you know it is a job as well so i think um none of that that sounds that's very lofty and i really believe every word i've just said but none of that was <laughs> was uh apparent to me when i started teaching it was really i was thinking mm -hmm. right, I'll, I'll work for a few years in a school and that'll be good life experience and you know it's good to learn to explain things to other people for yeah. whatever you might do later but i actually have come to see that well this is a great way to spend your life and your energy and talents and um, the world needs uh more teachers and people committed to that that really vital upstream work of forming human beings alongside yeah. and obviously 
uh, in support of parents who are the the first educators. So I think, yeah, my my path. A lot of people in schools that I've encountered have had that really strong sense of always wanting to be a teacher, and uh, they, they they've just loved that and pursued that. But I think for me, it's been more of a gradual realization of this is a this is a great way to serve and make a contribution. Um, the more I've been involved in education, if that makes yeah. sense, I, it it makes it makes total sense. And as I said. Um, I, I find your story really interesting. And for those people that are interested in finding more, I would encourage them to uh, to check out our first discussion because we really unpacked um, some great things in there. And your strength finder results were interesting, weren't they? Uh, positivity, belief, included, communicator and achiever. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. And uh, are there any negatives to, uh, to each of those um, strength finder results? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think there are lots of things where, you know, you, you, everybody has strengths that, um, uh, have, have weaknesses attached to them. Uh, yeah. let me think. I mean, I, I think, uh, if you're I mean, an includer, yeah. if, you, if you love making sure that people feel welcome and included, you can sometimes be so mindful of the people on the fringes as it were, that you're not giving your full yeah. attention to the person right in front of you. Um, yeah. Sometimes in in social settings, I've found that um, you know stop looking to you know see who's entered the room and just focus on the person you're talking with. Wow. Um, so you know that's a trivial example, but um, I think in schools that can be a it can be a, a, an important thing because we want to have we, we are wanting to be inclusive, but also focus on our purpose, and uh, that sometimes means we have to draw limits around mm-hmm. um, what. Yeah, who gets to belong, depending on whether yeah. that that's aligned to and um so yeah, I think they all all have their other sides um to them. And um and I think the challenge is, you know, how do you how do you make sure that yeah, you you play to your strengths, you work on your weaknesses, but more than that, you find how you can be a, a jigsaw piece with other people who yeah. have strengths that you don't and complement um the things that you can contribute. Absolutely. And your new role is really interesting, uh, isn't it, Hughes? So the head of Scott's X, is that a little bit like SpaceX or like what? Uh, what's involved with that? And and why uh, Scott's is such an established and reputable institution. So why uh, why pursue this new idea with Scott's? What's Scott's X? And uh, yeah, what's what's exciting about it? Yeah, so ScottX is really an experiment. Uh, you know, you think of SpaceX; it's not a bad analogy. Although, I think um, is it as exciting? <laughs> yeah, on a much much smaller scale. But you know, they're only going to Mars. We're we're forming human beings. So um, we educators have got uh, nothing yeah. to, to shy away from there. But um, so yeah, ScottX in a, in a nutshell is uh, an experimental uh, program to see how we might reinvent the experience of education particularly for early adolescent boys and so i can explain a lot about um what that entails i'm sure we'll get into that but i think the why question why do something different why try and experiment and reinvent redesign education particularly when you're in a setting where you seem to have been doing a good job of that for a very long time that's a really good question Uh, i think you know there's a there's a there's an answer to that that's probably generic in that institutions are always needing to recover 
their sense of uh, openness to the world and always needing to challenge what they do mm. and improve and refine. And, you know, there's lots of examples of Kodaks out there that yeah. neglected to uh, engage with change and found themselves uh, obsolete. I think um, uh, Peter Drucker said something like, um, yeah. survival is not uh, guarantee or something to that effect. So, so there's, you know, there's an, there's an answer there that you need to always maintain engagement with what's what's new and what's different and and uh, make sure that you're on the front foot so that's a general answer but i think more pointedly why at, at scott's the scott's college in sydney we're wanting to do this and why you know beyond scott's exit we really tried to invest a lot in innovation research development i think the answer is actually going right back to why the school was established so i'm a, i'm a history teacher historian and so i'm really interested in you know where do we come from and Scott's uh, was founded in 1893 wow. uh, in uh, in Sydney in at the start of a, a major depression uh, with 35 students or thereabouts and a couple of teachers in rented premises. It was a very kind of fragile, embryonic thing that that limped along until uh, for its first sort of 15 or 20 years. And um, but at, at its founding, this very inauspicious. Uh, school the the founding uh, moment the moderator of the presbyterian church uh who was himself a a real nation builder he said the school would be bound by no system but would adapt its mode of tuition to the peculiarities of individual pupils and i think well wow, that's wow. a really interesting wow uh, kind of quaint but interesting expression um you know awesome. being bound by no system but really i think challenging the systems and saying, let's if we're going to be independent, uh, let's let's be independent. Let's think differently, and let's not just see students uh, as um, all the same, but as individuals, as persons, and try as much as possible to adapt the way we teach to those individual people that they might flourish. So I think there's something right back there, you know, 130 years ago, which says try and do things differently, not for the sake of doing things differently, but for the sake of forming human beings and try and do things in a way that emphasizes the the person um, and uh, sees you know each boy in this case as somebody who has peculiar peculiarities about themselves um, that can be brought to the fore um, not 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 squashed so I think there's something generic in my answer there and why why do something differently and there's something also deep in our story that says when we're not just you know, wanting to jump on the latest fads or trends. Uh, we're not just want to innovate for the sake of innovation, but we actually want to be true to our, our founding purpose there. Yeah. So do you think, um, Hugh, that it's easy, and I'm not just talking in terms of Scots here, but it's easy for institutions to become stagnant? I mean, Scott, Scots has an incredible reputation. Um, there's a new campus, which is relatively close to where I live. And uh, there's a there's an immense pride and immense history and immense tradition there. But do you think sometimes that can be a bit of a um, bit of a challenge to overcome when you've had such a history of success to actually step away and go, hey, what are we actually here to do? I mean, that's a very brave thing to do, even in a really established organization like Scott's. Um, what, what what are your thoughts on that? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, you know, like you talked before about strengths and weaknesses, I think traditions yeah. can be great strengths uh, and they can also be great weaknesses. And so, I mean, our, our principal, Dr. Lambert, 
who himself has a really strong sense of, I guess, tradition of stewardship of recognizing who you know whose shoulders he's building on. His his father's an old boy of the school, so that's particularly mm-hmm. personal for him. But he talks about uh, honorable traditions. So he says, you know, in schools there are certain things that actually you you need to discard because they're they're not honorable. They're if you think about the way that schools uh, maybe for a long time thought about, you know, discipline, uh, about behavior, uh, about who was smart, quote unquote, and who was, you know, not smart, quote unquote, and then sorted people based on that. They're, they're not they're not traditions that we want to hang on to. They're um, so we discard them, but we preserve the things that are honorable traditions. And mm. so, so I think for us, we're trying to you know walk that line of retaining and deepening the things that are honourable traditions, the things that give us a connection to our past, the things that give us um, a framework for understanding the world, um, recognising that we we don't need to we don't need to start from scratch all the time. Um, and uh, and that give us a sense of um, community and belonging and connection. Yeah. Uh, so they're really important and you want to recover and, and champion those. But at the same time, you can do do things differently and even develop new traditions. And in, in Scott's X in our little program this year, um, there have been some cool little really small traditions that in the space of just a few months have become, you know, I, I think honourable and helpful uh, rituals for belonging and for um, for formation here. So, so yeah, you've got to, you've got to do both and you've got to um, think hard about that. And yeah. I would challenge any any anyone who thinks they can rest on their traditions uh, may not have understood their, their story very well. Uh, and uh, anyone who wants to just, hmm. you know, throw it all out and start again all the time. Well, I don't think that's a, a great recipe for, yeah. for lasting um, lasting change either. Yeah. Uh, Hugh, there's so much, gosh, there's so much in that that you raised. And I'm just interest, interested in what sort of leader does it take to lead an initiative like this? I mean, are there any things that you've had to rethink both um, personally or professionally in order to be the type of leader that this initiative needs. I'm sure it's been a transformative process both individually and also corporately, but would you mind maybe help me understand a little bit of that sort of personal process for yourself that you've had to go through in terms of what are some of the things that you question? What are some of the things that you hold dear to and, and how do you begin to be there the right leader to lead something as exciting as this at Scott's big question. Sorry for, and it's, I'm aware it's eight 30 at night. <laughs> no, that's a great question. I'm just trying to think before I respond, uh, what sort of leader do you need to be to, to lead, um, changes? I, I, I think you've got to, this is maybe it sounds a bit of a twee answer, but you've got to be the leader that you are. So, yeah. You know, so not trying, not trying to be someone you're not, um, not trying to copy somebody slavishly, um, not trying to have all the answers or anything like that, but thinking about, you know, where am I? What strengths do I have? What weaknesses do I have? What's the opportunity before me? Mm. And um, and being able to, I guess, have that, that mix of uh, what I think... Uh, Jim Collins in in Good to Great talks about as yes combination. You want to aspire to that that strange paradoxical combination of uh, deep humility and a fierce resolve. So it's not about it's not about you as a leader. It's about the mission and the people who you're serving and serving with. Um, 
it's it's not your it can't be your your project and about you and you got to really check your ego and and think oh is this is this becoming about me or is this about us and about the mission but at the same time have a deep um deep commitment to we need to do this uh and we're going to see it through and interesting with with the scottex project um we started working on it in 2019 so four years ago and um you know we obviously had the pandemic in the middle there and you know we've had lots of different other projects going on at the school and lots of change and, and what have you so um so i think yeah like do you do you really believe in this is this something that you think needs to happen and yeah. if so um you need to apply uh, all the energy and um uh, and um and wisdom and counsel to that you can so i think there's something there about that paradox of yeah deep humility hopefully and, and a fierce resolve is there anything uh what are some of those non-negotiable things for you personally in terms of your own leadership those things that you hold firm to and when things seem to be going uh getting out of control i think you need to remember the bigger picture so what seems you know a massive thing or a big risk or a big failure right now is probably going to sort of shrink a little bit uh, in maybe, you know, maybe a week's time, maybe a year's time, maybe maybe longer, uh, and certainly in the span of a lifetime. And what's going to be most important is having, you know, is having good relationships, investing in people, mm-hmm. um, you know, winning, <laughs> winning the relationship, not the not the issue, as it yeah. were, and, um, and also thinking about the longer game. So, all right, you know, it might not have, Things might not be playing out the way I planned. Where are we trying to get to, and and how can we maybe mm-hmm. um, change our change our course to get there? So I think that's important. And I think you know having having you know strong convictions about who you are. Um, you know I'm I'm a I'm a Christian person, and so I I know that my um, my work is uh, is not just my own. And uh, and if things don't work out as I'd hoped or planned, then that doesn't mean that um, that they're out of control. It just means I need to um, change my, you know, trim my sails and change my course uh, as a result. So, yeah, so I think that's important, uh, having a, a clear sense of who you are and and why you're doing what you're doing. Absolutely. And and what do you think um, those leaders that work with you would would say about your leadership or your, your leadership style? Uh, we don't have any, we haven't asked anybody. Uh, but uh, what do you think they would say about how you handle a crisis, how you treat people, how you cast vision, all of those types of things? I hope that they would say that I am maybe demonstrating some of that mix we talked about of, you know, fierce resolve and deep humility, Um, hopefully that, you know, that I cared about them as much as cared about the the mission and the goal that um, hopefully that I was able to take on feedback and listen to others. And I think my leadership style is, is pretty inclusive. And I think hopefully they'd say that, um, that I was able to um, yeah, to really 
show that it was worth it. So one of the things about schools is, you know, everybody's working really hard, right? <laughs> and schools are busy places. And there's a lot of discussion at the moment about teacher burnout, the teacher workforce crisis. I was talking to one of the people on my team this morning, just as we wrapped up the term, we had a kind of one-to-one and we're talking about how the term's gone and it's it's her first term in this new ScotsX program. We're working really hard. We're kind of designing everything uh, as we go. And, um, you know, and, and so there's a lot that comes with that, but we're, we're reflecting together on how, um, how working really hard when you can see the impact you're having and its alignment to why you got into teaching in the first place is a different way of working to, yeah. Oh, I just feel like I'm working really hard. And um, and I, I wonder if a lot of the experience of teachers is I'm working hard, but I, you know, I'm, I just feel like I'm not really, mm. yeah, working uh, on the things that I know I, I really want to. And um, and so, and I think there's a lot of factors that shape that. That's not, um, that's not the individual's yeah. sort of always in the individual's control. But I think, again, that's why we need to change the experience of school so that our work as teachers really reflects our personhood and our vocation. So hopefully, you know, um, I'd be uh, encouraging that kind of that kind of hard work that's really rewarding. Yeah. And I'm just interested, uh, Hugh, what does success look like um, for ScotsX at the moment? Um, I'm sure there are multiple um, uh, points of success, but right now, what does success look like for the program and, and those that are involved? Yeah, well, I think perhaps to answer that, how about I kind of give you a bit more detail about what Scott's X is and then kind of what do we think is um, is success and how do we know and what's working well so far. So, um, right. so just, just backtracking a little bit. So uh, so I said before, Scott's X is an experimental program for early adolescent year eight, in this case, boys at the Scott's College. Uh, it's a program that really started from the the, the recognition that it's very hard to change things in schools. And that's, you know, it doesn't take um, looking all that far and wide to um, to come to that realisation. Uh, we also know that um, because schools are big places, complex places, and um, and things like our timetables, the way we organise learning, our subject um, differentiation and so forth can make it really hard to change things. You can have, and I think in my previous role looking after our research and development team, uh, we we. Uh, work with great staff who are designing really innovative and interesting ways of of teaching and learning, uh, but often uh, expanding or embedding those sort of ran up against the the structures of school that um, that can make that very hard. So ScotsX is an attempt to step outside some of those structural constraints, um, a bit of a blank canvas, as it were, to say, all right, um, let's not make excuses about those things. If we didn't have those constraints. Uh, what what would we create, and could we create an experience of school that was co-designed with students and their families, uh, and that was um, significantly enhancing their academic development, not just in terms of their results, so that's important, but their understanding, their skills, their their deep knowledge, and can we play a can we see greater formation of boys' character and 
uh, and, and why at that early adolescent stage? Well, we've done lots of different things at Scott's in different year levels, and we've um, created some really interesting, some colleagues have created some really interesting programs for uh, upper secondary school in terms of alternative pathways, uh, in terms of different credentials, which is great. But the early adolescent years, so kind of 13, 14 year olds, year, year seven and eight, um, often they're kind of the, the overlooked years, you know, uh-huh. most teachers in high schools, if they're teaching across the years, they're effort and energy naturally gravitates to the you know the end game years 11 and 12 and uh, and you know year seven and eight um the stakes don't seem that high the kids are you know they're the problems don't seem that big and um and so we don't focus perhaps that much on on this this window but this is a this is a golden time right you know our brains are developing or young people's brains are developing in that early adolescent period um so much so that the, the the only time in your life when your brain is forming neural connections and pruning synapses and all of that uh, is in your first few years of life. So this is the second best window to to change and to grow. Yeah, wow. Uh, it's also, you know, that time when um, young people are trying to figure out who they are, what's their identity. They're sort of distancing themselves a little bit more from the family, the family unit, and seeking. A sense a sense of belonging with their peers so it's this great time and also i think you know um working with teenage boys for for a while now it's a time when they're kind of not not yet too cool for school um they're they're enthusiastic about the things that you put before them but they're also more capable perhaps of of you know working on challenging things too because of their growing maturity and and so forth so um so we wanted to do something different for this uh, particular age group so that we can have a bigger impact upstream as boys move through school so they're better prepared for whatever decisions they make about their study patterns and so forth into senior years they've got stronger metacognition um, they've got a deeper sense of why they're working and uh, and that will set them up well for whatever comes afterwards and so uh, so the way it works really is we've got uh, 20 boys in the program and we open it up to all of our year seven boys last year and their families and had a number of people um, express interest. We had about 50 boys apply and then we selected a cohort of 20 boys um, who are representative of the the enrollment that we have at the school, which is a broad enrollment or a comprehensive school. And uh, so we've got boys in the program who are, you know, very, very strong academically, are on full academic scholarships, are doing accelerated mathematics and so forth. And we've got, you know, three boys in the program who failed mathematics last year. And we've got boys who are very quiet and introverted. We've got boys who are absolute life of the party chatterboxes, boarding boys from, you know, um, rural parts of Australia, city boys, a real mix, because we're trying to see what works for a mix of students that we have at our school. And so our 20 boys, uh, um, uh, the main difference in their experience is that rather than move between 10 different subjects and 10 different teachers in a day or in a week and experience school in kind of 50 minute periods of time, and mainly I think uh, think about their learning as I'm, I'm doing French, I'm doing English, I'm doing history, and I'm really focused on the mark at the end. Could we, we've created an experience where actually um, the the experience of school is much more integrate a uh, range of different learning areas around uh, around those. So yeah, so some of them that have been really interesting, we've uh, had boys uh, research a 
medieval citizen, a figure, if you want to use that term, a figure from medieval Europe. That's the year eight history curriculum that boys need to learn about medieval Europe. Uh, and so we normally do a kind of topic test on that. We thought, well, let's let's get them to research a figure. So it might have been Joan of Arc or Saladin right. or, um, you know, or uh, uh, Gutenberg or what have you. And uh, and really try to understand that person and uh, and write a um, a reflection on them and, and so forth, engage with sources. But then rather than just write an essay, which is which is good, uh, to actually turn that into a eulogy. We're thinking about what kind of life, you know, what kind of life are you going to live? What kind of character are you going to be? And so we had our senior chaplain come and speak to the boys about what makes for a good eulogy. He sat through a lot of funerals. Wow. And, and then the boys had to actually write and then deliver a eulogy as though they were there at the funeral or, or the like of one of those characters. And it's been interesting as well seeing, wow. seeing them um, really think carefully about, all right, well, if I'm eulogising, um, you know, Peter the Hermit, for instance, uh, who was one of the leaders of the First Crusade, one of the boys decided to focus on him but take the perspective of, um uh, you know, Muslim defenders of Jerusalem who'd been on the other side of his invective. And so really seeing that empathy uh, perspective taking, which is so important for history learning um, to come through there, that's been cool. And um, another project that's been really interesting is um, we, in our citizens, uh, stories of citizens quest earlier in the term, we had boys think about the people in our school who are often um, great citizens, but not in the limelight. So, you know, the guy who, um, Andrew, who, does the lollipops of the crossing and um, Con, who's one of our bus drivers and Yolanda who works in the kind of in the, in, in the cafeteria and, um, and wow. Liz who looks like the catering and all these kind of, you know, support staff really who are doing great things behind the scenes um, and uh, identify them, write them an, an email. We workshop with them. How do you approach an adult and ask them to, to, to be interviewed and then arrange an interview? Awesome. Uh, we had a whole lot of workshops with them on how you do that well, how you think about good questions. And then right. they had to create a, a you know a, a set of portraits of that person, a bit like the humans of New York. Um, yeah, wow. They taken off. And so we did some photography workshops with them on portraiture, thinking about, you know, aperture and shutter speed and all of that. And uh, and they, you know, they've created these beautiful images of these um these citizens of the college and and written reflective photo essays around that. And one of the cool things about that is wow. they're seeing people differently. And um, but also we're gonna get them to present that uh, at our exhibition coming up and have the, you know, the person they've interviewed come and see the pictures. But more than that, we want to actually get the boys to present that to the whole the whole middle school so that we can help uh, all of our boys see that, you know, um, yeah, there are wonderful citizens who are around us serving all the time. So, you know, if you fail us with your rubbish or whatever, you're not just, it's not just the cleaner who picks it up. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's this person who has a story and uh, so trying to develop that empathy has been really cool uh, beyond just the skills of interviewing, writing, editing, and so forth. So that's been a, a cool little project they're part of. And, and, and one other one that I'll pick up on is quite different, which is perhaps more um, kind of hands-on there is the boys have been uh, thinking about cities for citizens. How do you design a city that promotes good citizenship? They've visited, um, you know, uh, the centre of Sydney. They've visited Parramatta. Uh, which has been a redeveloped sort of um, CBD, and they've visited the the new Western Sydney International Airport uh, and thought about how do you how do you build spaces for for citizens, and now they're making models of of those as well, and um, and thinking Excellent. about 
you know, how they justify that. So hands-on, written, performant, and so forth. And that'll all come together in a, a showcase for parents and teachers of, of their beautiful work. So they know that I'm not just doing it for the mark or for the teacher yeah. just once, but I'm I'm refining, I'm editing, I'm seeking feedback, and I've got a real audience who can see what I've done. So that's been uh, that's been cool so far. I'm looking forward to plenty more of those. Um, so rather than those moving between all those different periods and uh, different teachers and so forth and having all those things going on at once, the boys have three learning modes. We, we talk about active learning at Scott's, experiential and active learning. And uh, the three modes of these, the first is, is called mastery training. And so this is particularly focused on mathematics. This is building on the research in mastery learning, which says basically um, if you help students to reach a certain level of competence, you know, say it's an 80% threshold before moving on, um, then that's actually helping them to both attain a sense of achievement and confidence, but also they're learning more before they move on rather than just moving on because, you know, we've got to get through the plow through the curriculum and on to next year. So the mastery training um, uh, part of our program, particularly mathematics, sees boys sit uh, pre-tests at the start of a, a little learning block uh, to identify areas of, of weakness and uh, areas of gaps in their knowledge and then attend um, sessions that are tailored to those areas. So rather than the whole class is having the same experience, different groups are working on different things that are at point of need for them. And right. boys have started the week a whole list of tasks to work through that are a mix of face-to-face -face direct instruction, group work, um, online learning, and uh, and so forth. And then they submit that at the end of the week. And then they sit a post-test to see, well, how have I progressed? And so none of that's particularly you know revolutionary, but um, it's, um, it's really concentrated in the boys' experience there. And we're really pleased to see they just sat their first assessment task, which was the same as the whole of the year group, and uh, really pleased to see that the boys progressed um, 11 points, uh, 11 percentage points on their results at the end of last year. That was the average progress. So 10%, 11% gain there, or 11 points gain rather. And uh, and we had a boy top the year who uh, came, got a 79% result at the end of last year. So he's gone from 79 to 99. Uh, and we had boys in the accelerated program also top the year who weren't necessarily at the top of the of That's the right. cohort. And, uh, and really excitingly, um, those three boys I mentioned who failed maths last year, uh, all achieving um, at least above 60%. One of the boys uh, he said to me, I find maths really hard. And I, I said, I can empathize. And, um, but he's worked really, really hard and seen this very incremental and cumulative approach to maths. And, um, and he, he was really proud to see himself go from scoring 46% at the end of year seven to 79% in this first assessment task. And I think, you know, it's great to see the boys who are right at the top of the tree, but to see that kind of progress and growth is very, very satisfying for him and for us as his teachers and, and for his parents as well. So that's some of the early early evidence there for our first learning mode of mastery training. Um, so I go into the second, Matthew, or do you want to jump in? Or? Uh, uh, no, I, I, I love that, Hugh. And I, at some point I'd love to talk about how uh, as a, a team, how you begin to even map that curriculum to make sure that you are obviously being um, comprehensive and how you begin to build those connections between learning outcomes. But uh, yeah. we probably save that for uh, for the end of our discussion. So please, please go on into the second point sounds. If it's as good as the first time, uh, I'm hooked. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so our, second, our second learning mode is 
called quests and this is really as you said where we try and integrate all the boys learning together and so um you know integrated learning uh project oriented learning that sort of stuff has often got a bad rap i think at our school we may have introduced something like that a few years ago before my time and um you know really good intentions but um it's it's yeah it's very hard to do and it can be done it, it can be done in ways that aren't necessarily as rigorous as as um as as we need so uh, our quest learning is really trying to take the existing curriculum the boys have to learn and also the ways that at our school that we've already thought about how we're going to teach geography how we're going to teach french etc or how, rather not french how we can teach um, history or english or design mm -hmm. technology and integrating that together around uh big thematic uh, projects that we work on across a four or five week sprint not that dissimilar to i'm sure what you do and other primary school educators do all the time but different for high school well, so it, sorry Hugh, i didn't mean to cut you off but we, we uh, I, i'm not sure if you're aware but there's a um a currently a new uh k to two and also three to six curriculum coming in so we're doing a lot of work around um uh, planning um a lot of work around uh uh, Dr. Joe Bowler, so planning big ideas around mathematics. Um, she's out of Stanford, and it's essentially choosing these big concepts and pulling in all of the different mathematical strands. So we one we're doing is um, like how do we measure, which of course incorporates length. Uh, it can incorporate uh, decimals. It can incorporate square meterage. So I think looking at those broader concepts and how applicable they are to everyday life seems it seems to be a direction um, that we're heading uh, in terms of how we map curriculum. Um, but it's it's really, uh, I'm really interested in how, like when I worked um, in an independent school at the beginning of my career, we had the international baccalaureate and also we had the requirements um, that were mandated to be a, uh, to be a school. So we were essentially uh, running two programs. I mean, is that the same with you guys? Uh, how do you sort of ensure that you're covering all the content that's required? And also, how do you make it equitable for those boys that are not involved in the program? Um, it, it, I mean, yeah, would you mind maybe unpacking some of that? That's, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so to oh, the mapping question. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. To the mapping question, yeah, I think it is tricky, but um, we've been, you know, working with all of our department leaders on, all right, let's look at the syllabus. Let's look at um, the outcomes that students have what's already working really well in geography, technology, you know, um, history, what have you, what are the obvious points of intersection? You know, so sometimes it's been a really interesting discussion to say, wow, like you're doing this over here, you're doing that over there. That's a, that's a great fit. So can we bring that together? I'll give you some examples of that. Um, and, um, and then how do we make sure that we are, you know, always making decisions, right? When you think about the curriculum, you know, you cannot teach, um, you cannot pick up the syllabus, I don't think, and it doesn't actually it doesn't actually tell you how to teach it. I mean, that's a simplified statement there. Yeah. But if I think about it as a history teacher, if I pick up the history syllabus, I have a set of general indicative hours I need to spend on history over a course of time. But I could I could take any dot point in the syllabus and spend fifty hours teaching about that, right? So you're always making decisions. You just want to make sure you've made good decisions and that, that it's integrated, it's purposeful, it's cumulative, it's sequential, all of those sorts of, you know, basics of curriculum design. So, yeah, so we're trying to do that. And um, and I think when you can integrate things into broad themes, so, for instance, uh, our themes, uh, uh, term one theme is citizenship, term two is truth, term three is goodness and justice, and term four is beauty. They're big enough and, you know, 
expansive enough for um, the opportunity to see connections across things. So, um, wow. so yeah. So I think that's um, that's that's important there. And you've got to do all the. You've got to make sure you you know cross your t's and dot your eyes in terms of that. And we we track all the hours that we spend on every every subject uh, in the background, and you know, and moderate all our marks across tasks even if boys are doing different different assessments and so forth so you've got to do that but i think there's a lot more scope for um connection there than than we often might give ourselves credit for so um so yeah and then the second question you asked about how we what's the experience like for boys who aren't in the program um that's a really interesting question and i think we love to do something for everybody all at once um but we also know, as I said before, that if you try and do everything for everyone all at once, um, often it, it's nothing for everyone, <laughs> if it makes sense. Yeah, no so, so we're trying to pilot with a small group who volunteered for the program. Um, they're not necessarily the brightest the, the brightest boys, although we have some of the brightest boys. We've got a mix. Um, so it's not just a, it's not gifted and talented. It's not a program for boys who struggle with school, although we've got boys. We've got a boy in the program who um, experienced a lot of, um, time away from school last year due to anxiety um, so we've got a mix but we're trying to pilot with this small group and say let's let's do that well and think about how we can expand out and other boys who are at the school also you know we've got incredible teachers incredible programs so uh, anyone who has the this the scots education uh, already has an incredible gift something different and see what might scale um, yeah. that's that's part of the the challenge there um, amazing and and here you talked so point number one, you talked mastery. Mm -hmm. uh, point number two is quest. Was there a uh, was there a third point? Yeah. So um, so our, our third aspect is is called coaching. Is really trying to make a lot of our character development um, that we really emphasise at the school much more explicit. I think often in schools, you know, we because of our timetabling and so forth, we've got you know we might have in, in a high school you know twenty minutes or half an hour of kind of you know, homeroom time or pastoral care time or something like that in the day. Um, and that's good, but it's pretty, it's pretty bitsy, right? I remember being a, a, a tutor for a group of boys and I see them for this tiny slice of the week and their experience of school is split between so many different people. So it's hard to really get to know them and actually um, make explicit and implicit um, their journey of human formation. So coaching is trying to do that and particularly do that through really valuable rituals. So, you know, one of the things we do is we, um, we every Friday we have a lunch where we invite somebody in who's a member of our community uh, or, or a friend or the like who's lived an interesting life and uh, we have a meal together and we share you know, we share a meal together. We're teaching boys how to <laughs> how to have a meal and um, how to practice table manners and those sorts of things. They had to ask questions of an adult, learn from them, and think about um, you know what it means to live a good life and what it means to make good decisions. So we've had interesting people. We've had like a you know a, a robotics engineer. We've had a brigadier from the army. We've had. Uh, someone who worked in the White House under three presidents as a social aide. That was really interesting. We've had a, um, you know, last week we had a, a, a friend who is a, um, works in medical technology in, in AI uh, and has worked um, in uh, impact investment. So a real diversity of people. And we just say, come on in and the boys are going to ask you some questions and we'll give you a free lunch and um, just share your story. So that's been, that's been really cool, a real ritual there. And we, um, and we have boys, a lot of journaling, a lot of reflection questions, um, trying to develop that sense of self, um, self-awareness. 
and uh, and we really try to make that very visible right. for the students. So yeah, so some of those sorts of things that again, none of that's none of that's revolutionary, but it's trying to put it all together in a coherent package, a coherent experience, and um, and driven by. And I hadn't spoken to this before, but really driven by coming back to the top of our conversation now, kind of our design principles for the program are uh, making that really central. And those those principles that we've kind of elucidated from our our research over the last four years are. Uh, um, a connection and choice and challenge. So I can I can expand on those, but essentially trying to make the experience of school designed around um, those things uh, means that we uh, seeing greater student engagement and uh, and achievement and desire to work hard and desire to work on their character as well. Interesting. And, and Hugh, have you uh, engaged any feedback from the students? Um, what does that process like if you've had the opportunity to do that? And and what are some of the things that the boys that have been involved in the program are saying? Yeah, so we definitely want a lot of feedback from the boys. I talk, I used the word co-design earlier, and um, I think really believe in that. Not total student design. Um, you know, students are children, and um, and uh, you know, we we don't believe in sort of radical constructivism in in our in our school. I don't believe in that. Uh, as well, but having a voice is really important, and so and and that that design principle of choice uh, mm. is really central there. And you think about sort of self determination theory, connection, choice, challenge, um, relationships, uh, a sense of agency, and a sense of competence really do um, you know are drivers of of human motivation. So mm. yes, yeah, so voice has been really important. So we've done lots of things with that. We've um, you know, we have uh, open moments where we say to the boys, you know, what's well, not working? I, I said to them at the very start of our year, we went away for a three-day camp um, to build relationships. Uh, and I said, if you see us not living out these design principles of connection, choice, and challenge, you need to call me on the floor. <laughs> do that do that politely, but, um, you know, uh, call us out on that if we don't actually seem to be putting that into practice. And then we have... You know, have um, they? Sorry? Have they? uh yeah they have in some respects yeah we've, we asked them uh, great so, yeah it's been good i mean we've asked them a um uh you know we had a midterm we tried to re trying to rethink reporting so we had a midterm sort of student snapshot where we asked them a bunch of reflection questions you know how have you been practicing connection how have you been practicing choice and challenge we've um we've surveyed the boys and and surveyed the rest of the cohort and done some interesting benchmarks around their experience of connection, choice, and challenge. And um, yeah, and they've had some really good ideas. Hey, sir, can right. we do this differently? Um, right. In fact, tomorrow uh, as our last um, X day, um, I forgot to mention X days, every Thursday we go off campus for field work, just take the whole day and um, go and do something that relates to our quest. So we're looking at citizenship this term. So we've done some really cool things like... Um, They've been to Sydney University to the museum there to look at um, citizenship in ancient civilizations. They've been on a walking tour of inner city Sydney with a man who used to sleep rough, who um, uh, you know, who now um, works with a, a, a homelessness um, community, and so that was a very confronting experience for the boys. And we've they've wow. been out to um, Parramatta to we've been thinking about how do you design cities for citizens and they've been out to Parramatta and worked with students at Arthur Phillip High School there also in year eight about what's their experience of school like um, what's the boys experience of school like so some really great experiential learning there and we always get the boys they uh, they have to make their own way there we never put on a bus 
Um, they have to, um, you know, submit a travel plan, catch public transport and so forth, which has been a good exercise in choice. And, uh, and our final one tomorrow, we said, look, it's the last day of the term. Um, you know, over to you, you decide. So, so a couple of boys, you know, submitted a proposal, pitched that, refined it, thought about the learning outcomes, the logistics, you know, risk assessment, what have you. And these are 13 year old, 14 year old boys. Um, and, uh, and so they designed the experience for tomorrow. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's been cool to see them exercise more choice. And as we scaffold that over the course of the year, we look forward to them having more and more of that. One of our plans for our last term in, in term four is that the boys would actually design a, a week-long field trip, a, a road trip um, that really, um, you know, uh, yeah, encapsulates a lot of the things we've been learning. And um, and so, you know, what would that look like if 13 and 14-year-old boys are planning a, a whole right. week's uh, experience, uh, right. having to budget for that and um, think about route planning and, and so forth. So, yeah, I think when you lift the lid and you – give the boys, give students the right level of challenge and scaffold. Um, it's pretty cool to see them rise to it. Yeah. And I, I mean, you touched on this sort of briefly, but have there been any more sort of unexpected um, benefits from the program, things that you sort of couldn't have foreseen in your planning? I think we're seeing a really exciting opportunity for parent engagement. And right. I think in primary school, I think about my own son's, you know, experience of staying primary school. Like, you know, you can if you're if you're able to be working from home or the like, you know, you go to the classroom door to pick up your children. There's an assembly every week. There's so many opportunities. You can be a helper in the classroom. And I think, you know, as you go through school, and particularly in high school, uh, a lot of parents don't really have that much opportunity perhaps to connect with their their um their child's learning and um and so you know and when they ask their son perhaps uh you know what what did you do at school today <laughs> when they're 13 or 14 uh they might not get a, a fulsome response so you know so some of the things we've done there i write an email to all the parents and and right. copy in all our um our senior leaders each monday morning which recaps in the past week um we have a, a session on friday called exemplars of excellence where we um, highlight beautiful work by the boys over the past week. That's one of our aspects of challenge, creating beautiful work. And we get the boys, um, you know, give commendations for others and uh, and so forth. And so, you know, that goes out every week. So just trying to make the, help the parents to get mm. more of a sense of how their, their son is going and the overall experience of school beyond just, you know, the standard report and the assessment grades or the five-minute parent-teacher interviews. Um, that you're forced to do when you're when you're doing things in the standard model. Um, I think that's been really cool to see. And we've invited parents in. We've had parents come in and speak to the boys about their career and their life and uh, join us for those lunches. So that that's been that's been a, a really pleasant um, uh, part of the experience. And you hope that that uh, sows really good seeds for fam strengthening family relationships that are going to live you know a lot longer than the the their son's experience at school. Yeah, um, that's that that that's really refreshing um, to hear, Hugh. It's 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 so wonderful to hear. And have, have there been any sort of unexpected challenges? Um, any things that you didn't think would be an issue, and you're now trying to figure out? Or has has the process um, always been smooth sailing for you guys? Or is it smooth sailing? <laughs> uh, yeah, plenty of challenges along the way. Uh, I think I you know gestured to that before in terms of the. Um, you know, uh, four years of designing and 
having COVID in the middle and yeah. so forth. Um, and I think, uh, wow. yeah, so I think just this is the challenge of time and of when to, when to, when to pull the lever as it were, or push the button or whatever you want to say, uh, when you actually get started and yes. how do you, um, you know, when you put things out to parents and students, um, I think one of the things that's been a challenge is every, every message can be, uh, heard in different ways. Yes. Uh, one, one course I did, someone talked about how, um, there's a difference between communication and broadcasting. Broadcasting is you speaking and assuming that everyone's going to hear what you say. Communication is making sure that they've actually heard what you say. So when you talk about a new program, um, you know, people can say, well, what's wrong with the existing program? And, and we want to support and say, we're, you know, we're doing great things in the existing program. This is different. And this is trying to see, could we learn about doing things differently that we can expand to benefit all students? Um, so, so some of those things have been interesting challenges to, to navigate. And, um, yeah, I think one of the other challenges that we've probably faced is how do you, um, yeah, how do you, how do you think about scale? It's, um, you know, in, in a sense, it's, it's really exciting and new and working with a fantastic team of what we call learning designers at, at two core teachers, um, and uh, 20 students and their families. But, you know, what does that look like if you expanded to a, a bigger group? How do you make sure you keep that sense of um, dynamism and co-design, but also think about, you know, what that would look like with a, a, a much larger group? So yeah. they're all interesting questions to, to work through. Um, and, uh, yeah, and what I've been, I think I've been really pleased with is as you give people an opportunity to come and see what's happening, um, so we invite other staff to come and join us for those lunches and our weekly exemplar session. Um, as you say, you know, come and see, uh, what do you think? Have you got any feedback? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not as scary. And, and I was actually talking to someone today who said, oh, you know, we came, I came back from that exemplar session last week and talked to my colleagues and my team. And we thought, oh, we, we could, we could do something differently in, right. in our work of what I've seen. So that's wonderful to hear that you're encouraging um, different thinking uh, based on what you're what you're modeling in a small way. And, and can I just um sorry help me understand what the process has been like in terms of taking parents through that as well because obviously you're in a um very fortunate to be in a very affluent school. Um, I'm assuming there would be um as there should be very high parent expectations. And how do you um take parents on that journey with you? Because I know since when I was at school, school has to train, changed dramatically. I can only imagine how much it's changed for some of our um, some of our high school parents. So what's that process been like and um, what have you learnt from that process along the way? I think parents are, you know, it's hard to be a parent, right? And it's the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, and you... <laughs> you have these great hopes for your children. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to manage your career and maybe elderly parents and Sydney's a crazy place. And yeah, we've got a lot of affluent parents. We've also got a lot of parents who are working really hard. Um, they're trying to run their own business. Um, they're working some, you know, several jobs, um, you know, really sacrificing a lot to be able to uh, give their children this amazing education. So they're not all cut from the same cloth as it were, or, yeah, right. um, you know, and, uh, and so I think, yeah, to, to, I think the question that we really settled on when we were sort of presenting to parents, why, why consider your son being part of this was, um, 
you know, what what do you want for your children? And uh, at Scots, we talk about giving boys the finest preparation for life. And I think when we think about school, it's very easy. We all default that you know, school is one of those things that we've all done or has been done to us. So yes, we all correct. we all have a a perspective on that, and we very easily default to what we've done. We do that as teachers all the time as well. And so I think trying to communicate that. Um, that something has changed in the world, um, that just winning at the game of school, as it were, like even if you get, you know, amazing results in your high school certificate, your final uh, exams, um, that doesn't actually necessarily mean you, you're you well prepared for life anymore. Yeah, that's true. It might have if you, you know, when, when it was clearer that there were certain jobs that were very, quote unquote, safe or, you know, the path through university and credentialing was very fixed but you know we know that that's a lot of that is changing um you know i mean uh i showed showed some parents the you know entry criteria for harvard um, which is now often i think harvard or maybe it's um now i think harvard is certainly a number of the ivy league institutions are, are now going sat optional so you don't even need to necessarily submit your test course oh, wow. to get into the top universities overseas um uh they're looking for people who are um curious thoughtful um have deep deep um specialist knowledge as well as breadth uh who have shown that they have a sense of service so they're looking for kind of well-rounded people as well as people who uh, have particular depth and so um you know and the same for the workforce um wow. you know a lot of parents can relate if they if they run a business or the like that yeah i've got somebody who looks good on paper but I can't put them in front of a client or um, they've got, you know, I give them some feedback and they crumple because they don't have any sense of resilience. So I think parents, when you start talking about that, they go, oh, yeah, actually that makes sense. Uh, so what what do you need to be somebody who, um, you know, can actually um, take right. any educational opportunity that comes their way and, right. uh, and so forth as well. So I think that's been an important thing. And then really helping show parents that, um, again, you know, uh, a lot of people have got opinions on schools, but to say, you know, we are, we're the experts in education, you know, you and I, Matthew, like we, we teach students all the time and uh, we, we know a thing or two about um, what young people need. And, um, and if we're open about the shortcomings of the education system as well and say, you know, we actually know we're not just defending our, our product because this is what we've always done. Um, I think that, I think that has some, perhaps some cut through as well, but the heart of it really is, um, how do how do students respond and engage? And so, um, are they are they excited about engaging with their learning? Are they working really hard? And are they seeing uh, progress as well? I think that's the proof in the pudding there. Um, yeah. so looking forward to sharing some of those stories of student growth as we think about next year's group of boys. Amazing, um, uh, Hugh. It's it's really wonderful and re really refreshing to um, uh, uh, to hear the work that Scots is doing. Just to um to to really not only as we talked about before hang on to those honorable traditions but also to to question some of those fundamental things around education and um i'm aware that there are people that listen to this podcast from all over the world and all different um uh, in all different educational landscapes so uh, broadly what do you think um we can learn from scott's uh, experience with this project and uh do you have any advice for um, for anyone that's listening that that really wants to shake things up a bit and change the way that uh, things are done in their school? New things that come to mind are 
making sure that you have a very clear sense of why, you know, what education uh, should be about. I think yeah. I started with that at the, at the beginning of our conversation, talking about, you know, human formation and having, a, you know, a good sense of where you are, what, which school are you in? And every school has the opportunity to, to I think, um, or yeah, every school, no matter what their resources and so forth, um, can can do school differently. I don't think it's just a resourcing question. Um, although, you know, I think there's, a, there's, there's an incumbency upon schools like Scott's that have great financial and sort of, you know, um, uh, reputational capital, if you will, to to do things differently and to share that and and see what's worked and what hasn't. Like there's, you know, there's a real um, responsibility to um, to actually try things out differently that might be useful elsewhere. But I think, yeah, I think being being really clear on your purpose and context is very important. I think you know the wisdom of trying things in little ways, making small bets is important. So Scott's X project is actually built on a whole lot of little prototypes of things that we've right. done in research and development with staff along the way. Some of them have been great, some of them haven't, um, but learning from that and then putting that together is Amazing. really important. So don't try and start everything at once. I think we often in, you know, invent these glorious schemes for um, you know, changing everything in one fell swoop but um, that really works so little things uh, and building relationships and I think also and we might have talked about this last time we chatted Matthew is that um, you know there's there's so much good stuff happening right so the more you can get out and see or listen and and um, and and get a taste for what's going on uh, through things like you know your podcast um, the more you just get ideas so um, I've really found that very helpful I remember visiting a, a school a, a boys school uh, in um, in Parramatta in in um, central western Sydney last year and seeing some of the things they do around very rigorous project oriented learning that's um, that's they're very tightly run and has strong strong subject depth and uh, and so forth. I, was, I took so much from that visit. So I think the more you can do that, the more you can do that across sectors and so not just independent schools talking independent schools, but across you know Catholic, state, independent, which we have in Australia. Yeah, very hard to do that. We often live in these different worlds. Um, but the more you can do that, the more you can also learn from analogous settings. So um, you know we've. Uh, thought about in our design process what are similar examples of um, innovation hubs or the like mm -hmm. we're starting something differently um, and uh, so that's been helpful too yeah. but yeah, just you know bow bird as much as you can right <laughs> and uh, and try and draw it together and then I think the last thing I would say would be um, what have you you know what have you got to lose like uh, <laughs> in yeah. a sense in a sense absolutely in a sense our you know, the, the, the stakes are so high because every single child gets kind of one shot at being 13 or 14 and their experience of education really matters, right? So we better do a, as good a job as we can for the students who are in front of us. Um, and at the same time, um, I think we, we, we hopefully know that... Um, just continuing with what we've always done and tweaking bits and pieces around the system is not really going to see the kind of outcomes that we want. So um, it's not a case for recklessly doing whatever, but it's saying go for it and uh, and see what works and test it and see what you might learn from that and share that with others. Absolutely. Um, 
Hugh, I, I think that's a wonderful uh, place to to wrap our discussion up. I, I'm so um, so incredibly grateful for your time, um, and also um, I'm watching from afar the amazing work that Scots is doing, and it really is an inspiration to um, to so many others, not just in the independent sector, but in the government sector as well. And so, um, thank you for being uh, bold and brave and uh, and taking risks. I, I really. Um, it's really great to see, and I really appreciate you, uh, you you talking with me this evening. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Matthew. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.